you have your Bible, go with me to Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. As you go there, as you um, had opportunity, and I pray that you've been part of the Pursuit 21. Uh, if you have, you've had an opportunity to go through different chapters of the book of Philippians and your devotions. Uh, starting in, verse, in chapter 1, you get a chance to see that you're a saint, that God has called you out. And uh, as you think about the purpose of, of Philippians, you can think about the purpose of the Christian life. So as I go through the book of Philippians, I'm thinking, okay, God, this is my purpose for this life. You've given up, me an opportunity to be here, and so as I think about that, I think about chapter 1, I think about being a saint, that God has called me out in a world that is changing, uh, that is not excited about the gospel, not excited about church, not excited about truth, and God is going to give me the opportunity to walk in truth in the, in the society that I live in. He reminds me that I can be confident of this very good, good work that he began in me, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And so as God has began that work in me, I pray as you see that and you sense that, you'll get a chance to see, okay, God, how can I partner with you with the gospel? There's a lot of other things that you can be involved in, and they're not bad. But Paul loved this church at Philippi because of their partnership with the gospel. It was a priority to them. And I realize that most of us, as we think about the word gospel, we haven't thought about what does the gospel mean for me today as I sit here, as you sit here. Most of us, when we think about the gospel, we're thinking about people that are unsaved. We're thinking about something that took place in our life years and years and years ago. Oh yeah, you know, when I was a whirly bird, I said yes to Jesus. And I've told you that often. But I pray that the gospel impacts you today. That you're here saying, okay God, I do exalt you. I make a choice today because of what you've done in my life. It's also exciting as you think about chapter 2. There's, you know, call for us to, towards humility. If that is going to be part of who, you're, who you are as an individual, then you have to deal with the if statements. You have to allow the if statements in the beginning of chapter 2 to affect who you are as an individual. You will not live a life of humility if you don't come to reckon of who God is in your life. Come to realize what He's done in your life. Come to realize who He wants to be in your life. Come to realize that you can find comfort in Him. You don't need things of this world. Okay, God, because of what you're doing in my life, I don't mind being poured out as a drink offering in my community. Jesus was poured out. It wasn't about Jesus' agenda. It wasn't about him being an author. And then you get to chapter 3. So as you go to chapter 3, there's a kind of a phrase or a sentence that kind of would describe uh, chapter 3, and you could kind of put it this way, the prize of the Christian life. He's going to wrap it up in, in, in verse 8 in just a second. I'll get there. But you're going to get a chance to see, okay, if this is what the Christian life is all about, this is what it's going to be. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. But before we go there, he's going to remind this church that it's not about works. He's going to encourage this church to know Christ Jesus. It's very interesting to me as I read Philippians chapter 3. He doesn't want them just to know Christ. So here's where it gets a little bit you know, convicting or a little bit tough or a little bit hard. Most of us sitting in this room, we know Christ intellectually. Oh yeah, I know what he did on the cross. I know some gospel passages. And there's a lot of the church in America that if you would say, do you know Christ? They would say, yeah, we know Christ. But Paul doesn't say that is enough. He says to know Christ as what? My Lord. Different. 
When you read chapter 3, there's going to be some very familiar passages in chapter 3. Press on, forgetting what is behind. But if Christ is not Lord of your life, you're going to be stuck right there. You're not going to be willing to say, you know what? I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to press on. Because Christ is not really Lord of your life. Oh yeah, you know him intellectually. Oh yeah, he's a great guy. Oh yeah, it's in history. Oh yeah, the calendar even represents him. And you know about him, but you don't know him personally. And you're not saying, okay, yeah, I want you to be in charge. I want you to be Lord of my life. The other thing you're going to get a chance to see is the word maturity. And as I was reading through Philippians chapter 3, this word just like, and, what, and so I will save it for a second. And then you get a chance to see citizenship. Now it's really interesting. Most of us probably haven't thought about living as aliens on this earth this week. We get really comfortable being in the Highlands County. It's an incredible place to live. It's unbelievable the opportunities that we have in our community. I don't know if you'd ever, if you do much with athletics, but you'd be amazed how many head coaches in the athletic department of Sebring High School are believers that are in church. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to think that we can go stand in our courthouse lawn for 21 days and pray. That's unbelievable. In Lake Placid, it got cold, so they opened up a county building, and they went in and let them pray inside the county building. Yeah, go right on ahead. Imagine being in New York City. That's not going to happen. But we get the opportunity. So this morning, as we have chapter 3 in front of us, we get a chance. I'm going to show you something. And this, as I was thinking about us, and I was thinking about the church in America, and I was thinking about how spoiled we were, I got an email. I normally don't get this email. It must have been God-ordained email this week. But it's interesting is that I got this email that I thought about, okay, God, if individuals are willing to be persecuted, what about me? We had a chance this, this week, Thursday morning, and you know I love cold weather, so it was kind of fun for me, but other people didn't like it, okay? But we got a chance to pray at the courthouse, 30 degrees. And so we were talking about, or 32, whatever it was. It was cold. But somehow we were talking about, you know what? We should probably move the meeting. And I'm thinking, seriously? We are that wimpy as Christians in the United States of America that we can't be cold for 20 minutes? I mean, seriously. Think about it. Where there's a person right now sitting in prison, and all he has to say is, hey, I don't love you, Jesus. I'm out. I'm done. And they'll let him out. But he won't do it. Because Christ is Lord of his life. And he won't walk away because of his love for Jesus. I want, you to sh- I want Nancy to show you this video. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. <coughs> Hallowed be thy name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess. There's power in the name of Jesus. Take the third commandment, for example. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. For years, I simply thought that meant not swearing or cursing using the Lord's name, but I stumbled across a simple but incredible realization. 
Because a more literal translation of that commandment actually reads, You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. You shall not use the name of Yahweh casually, complacently, without respect, without value. It's the moment in time I realise that I actually break this commandment all the time. And more often than not, I break it in church. How much value, how much worth do you place on the name of Jesus? As I thought through this, it reminded me of a girl called Susan from Uganda. She's 14 years old and from a strictly Islamic family. One day a visiting speaker came to her school. He spoke about this guy called Jesus who claimed he was the son of God and had come to save the world. And right there, Susan decided to give her life to Jesus. When she got home, her father found out and he was furious. In fact, on one occasion in broad daylight, he grabbed Susan and her younger brother and dragged them outside. He held a knife to their throat and said, Susan, if you do not stop going to church and worshipping God, I will kill you and your brother. But Susan didn't stop. Her father grabbed her. He took her to a room in their house and placed a mat on the floor. He told Susan to sit on that mat and do not move until you are willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Her father turned around, walked out of the room and locked the door. Susan's father didn't return to that room for three months. The only way Susan survived was that while her father was out, her brother would dig a hole under the door. He would pour water into it for Susan to lap up. On occasion, he would fry up some banana and slide that under the door to his sister. After about three months, the neighbours began to wonder where Susan was and they asked her brother. He told them and they immediately called the police. When they came, they opened the door and they found Susan. She was sitting on the mat. She was alive, but only just. You see, the bones in her legs had begun to grow and conform to the way she'd been sitting. And she weighed 20 kilos. They grabbed her and rushed her to hospital where they began to rehabilitate her. When Susan was asked why she hadn't tried to escape, why she hadn't even left the mat, without missing a beat, she replied, because my father said, if I was to leave that mat, I would be denying Jesus. I couldn't do that. Worthlessness. It never even seemed to cross her mind, did it? This is exactly what the third commandment is about. A faith driven by a passion for God that realises not only to be in relationship with Him, but to be able to call on His name is among the most sacred privileges we have as Christians. A privilege the world can't conceive and a privilege that we so often take for granted. You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. Susan wouldn't. Do you? 
It's interesting as you watch that, in our commitment not to leave a mat, how many of us even, didn't even open our Bible? And you watch that and then you come to the truth of Scripture and you say, wow, a 14-year-old says, I'm not walking away from Jesus. We accept the truth of Scripture this morning for you. Will you allow it, not just to know about it, because we know tons of it. Will we allow it to affect who we are? If you have your Bible, go to Philippians chapter 3. Pick it up in, in, in verse 1. You see this. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you, as it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are circumcision, we who worship by spirit, we worship the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ and we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have every reason for confidence. You look at the passage of Scripture in front of you in chapter 3. As you start out in in chapter 3, Paul's going to remind this group of believers of the church of Philippi, even though there's other people called Judaizers that are saying, hey, yes, you can love Jesus, but there's going to be some things added to it. If you want salvation, it's not about, oh yeah, just saying yes to Jesus. You need to be circumcised. And so there's this whole battle going on with this church of Philippi. Is it by faith? Is it by faith and works? How does it all work together? So Paul writes to them, hey, I can write to you in joy. But I want you to know something. Your relationship with Christ is by faith alone. It's not by works. And so as you get this opportunity to read, he talks to them about worship, the Spirit of God, the glory in Christ Jesus. Find no confidence in yourself. Which as I was thinking about Philippians chapter 3 and I'm thinking about the society that we live in, most of our confidence is found in what we do, where we go, who we are. And if anybody, you can read on a little bit farther, we'll read some of that. If anybody could have said, yes, I can play the legalism card, it would have been Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day, born into the right family, was a zealot, he loved the Lord, he was passionate about it. He was willing to make sure that people lost their lives. Yeah, you're a Jesus guy. Yeah, we're going to take you away. We're going to throw you in prison. He could have played this card. But as Paul writes to you this morning, he says these words. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, I put no confidence in the flesh. Look on, read on a little bit farther. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, and a zealous one, persecuting the church. But, whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost. This is interesting, for the Christ. So he's saying to these people at Philippi, yeah, people are going to talk to you about works. People are going to add things onto the gospel. People are going to say, yeah, the gospel... Plus all this. But it's not. It's not about you. So you're sitting here. You've heard the gospel thousands of times. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Three days later, he rose again. Anywhere in there so far, you hear anything about yourself? Ephesians is very clear in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Why? Because if you could earn it, we would have to listen to you for eternity in heaven. Tell us about what you did. And it's not about you. 
It's about faith. I received the gift. It's interesting. A lot of us can say, yeah, I received the gift. But is our life changing? It's interesting as you look at Paul's words here. But, verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Isn't that interesting to you? Does that jump off the page to you? How does Paul do this? How does Paul consider all as lost? Now, be, let's just be, you know, give you some background. 30 years later, there's a guy that was going to destroy Christians. He's going to make sure he's going to wipe out the church. He's a persecutor. He meets Jesus. His life is radically changed. He gets discipled for thir- three years in the wilderness. Not sure who, how all that took place. Maybe it was Jesus himself. I don't know. But he got discipled. The word of God grabbed a hold of his life. And he went from a persecutor to a missionary. 30 years later, now we're reading his words, okay? So don't get discouraged here. This is a process. Keep on going. But think about it. you got somebody that's a hero of the faith, wrote most, most of the New Testament. And what is he saying to us this morning? Nothing more. It's not about me being an author. It's not about what I had to suffer. Not about what I had to give up. Surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all. Just thinking about it, was it, and I can't answer this question, when did it really all click for Paul? Was it year three? Was it year 10, 15? 20? I mean, I know it's about 30 years later. So when did it all... And what was the circumstance? Was it, was it when he was in prison? Was it, was it, you know, the opportunity when he was hungry? Or was it plenty? Or was it what? When was it when, when all of just... His eyes just went, boom, I got it. You're Lord. I'll follow you. I'll forsake all this stuff. I'll lay it all down. I'm not getting off my mat. I don't care what people say. I'm not leaving. 14 years old. One time, here's the gospel. It says, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm yours. How many years have we sat here? How many years were you in Sunday school? Have you allowed the gospel to stay in? You're my Lord. An opportunity to be at Sunday's this weekend. There's a big group of people in the back room and you know, been around Sebring for a while, so we know certain people. And so I was just said hi to the person. I said, the waitress. And I said, by the way, who are all these? Where do all these people come from? She said, oh, it's a church group. And when I asked her, were they nice? She didn't respond. I said, did they tip you well? And she just looked at me. I knew the answer. I knew exactly what she was going to say to me. We don't want them. You know why? Because we pray and then we get, you know, aggravated. I need some more unsweet tea. I need a little extra ice. I need more lemon. Really? The gospel hasn't affected you? Get over it. It's unsweet tea. You pray and then you act like you're in middle school. 
I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going out there. I'm, these are what people tell me. And I'm embarrassed because I'm a preacher. I'm embarrassed that we haven't said, okay, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. God, I want the gospel to affect me. God, I'm willing to forsake unsweet tea for 15 minutes just so I can be nice to somebody. Really, that's where we're living in America. Right? And we're all going to do it. We're going to go somewhere. Tip them more than you would normally tip. You're a Christian. Act like it. May the God who rescued you be part of who you are in your actions. Isn't it sad? I mean, it's kind of funny because it can be, you know, church thing, but it should really rip our hearts out and say, holy mackerel. If anybody should be nice, it should be us because we've been rescued by the gospel. And what's interesting as you, as you kind of walk through this passage of scripture, to know Christ, for him to be Lord of my life, and, and then you can kind of read on down. Look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Stop there. Have you experienced the resurrection power of Christ in your life? How can I sit at Sunny's and say, you know what, Lord? I don't really need sweet, unsweet tea. Because the power of the resurrection of Christ lives inside of me. I don't have to have my way. I don't have to act like I'm in middle school. I don't have to get angry. You see, you see what I'm saying? When was the last time you saw it? When was the last time you saw the power of the resurrection of Christ come out of your overflow of your heart? Boom! Here it is. Oh yeah, bam! Whoa! I mean, I know they're doing... Um, is it David Platt? Or Matt Chandler? I always get it confused. Platt. And Sunday school class. So he's doing secret church, secret church number 11. And he'll, he plans for six hours, over the, for a year or so, he'll plan six hours. He's just going to dump out the word of God for six hours just to challenge the church to grow. I think there was something like 50 million, 50,000. 50,000 people watching this secret church. So I started watching it the other week. I was flabbergasted by the statistics. I was horrifically embarrassed of all the things that he shared. Pastors, church people, all the statistics. I'm thinking, holy cow, what's wrong with us? The gospel hasn't grabbed their hearts. We're most likely no different than anybody else walking around in the world, but yet we came to church. This morning as you're sitting here, Will you allow, and this is your choice, will you allow the resurrection power to come out of your life? Dads, moms, grandmas, grandpas. So your your kid misbehaves. They're a sinner. What do you expect? Let them be human. Take a deep breath. They'll be okay. Love them, encourage them. I'm not saying you don't correct them. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. But I think the last time I checked, I was a pretty good sinner. I was, did a real good job when I was 17, 18, 19. Man, I had it all down pat. Just ask me. I can tell you everything. I sat in church. And it wasn't until I was at 19 getting ready to go to Africa. And I preached my little John 3.16 sermon to the water. Nobody was listening. It's just me. 
And it was like God said, I want your heart. And I said, wait a minute, i got all this baggage. I've got all these issues. He said, I want you. Whoa. All right, here I am. And I continue to do that every day. Here I am. I'm not perfect. Far, far from perfect. Really a pretty messed up preacher, if I'm honest. It gets a chance to talk to a pretty messed up congregation, if we're honest. But will we say, Jesus, I'll give you permission to be Lord of my life. I'm willing to lay all that back. I don't need this. He doesn't stop there. So you have Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. I want you to see the next word, maturity. Drop down to verse 12, which I know most of you know 12 through 14, but just drop down there. I want to show you something. Not that I've already obtained all this, and this is pretty interesting, the Apostle Paul. Hey, I've got it all together. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've been made perfect. I press on to take hold of for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are what? What's your Bible say? Mature. Most of you stop, and I've done it for years, stopped at 14. But it needs to go together. There doesn't need to be a break in that passage of Scripture. All of us that are mature should take such a view of these things. What kind of a view? I'm going to press on towards the goal. I'm going to strain and strive to aware what you want from me, God. I'm going to forget what's behind me. And all of you have done it to some point or other to this point of your life. Here's a great word picture. God gave us a little gift. Her name was Rachel. And I remember as a parent, you know, people start asking you, is, is she walking yet? Like that's some, you know, great thing, accomplishment. Well, my kid walked at 10 months. Well, my kid walked at 9 months and 3 days. My kid walked in 15 months. It was like we'd go around to parents. I'm like, and I didn't know any better. So I'm like, all right, Rachel, let's walk. Let's go for this, girl. Come on. So she starts walking. I'm thinking, what in the world? Why did I do this? How dumb am I? Now she's mobile. She'll run away from me. She gets into things. She climbs things. I'm like, what is wrong with me? But never one time in this process did I ever think, okay, I'm going to teach my daughter. We're going we're to teach our daughter how to walk. And she's going to fall down about 10,000 times in the process. What kind of dad am I? I should have been, wait, I should have went to an institution or something. You should have said, no, wait, hold on. You do not have the muscle structure to walk right now. So if you start to walk, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to hit the ground real hard. And it's going to hurt. What was I thinking? Then I got more brilliant as a parent. I bought her a bicycle. And I said, hey, babe, we want to show you how to ride a bike, but we'll put training wheels on it. Never thinking that one day as a dad... In my brilliance, I would say, by the way, you need to take off the training wheels. Why? You can ride faster. What does that mean? She's going to crash hard. It's going to hurt. Then she says to me, Dad, I want to drive. Oi, babe. I said, you need to ride with Mom because my blood pressure can't handle this. Right? So she's 15. She starts driving. I won't tell you what happened. It's, she'll be mad at me if I tell you all those stories. But anyway, needless to say, she made some very unwise choices. She got her driver's license, right? She says, Dad, I want to go. I want to drive. 
I had this old Lincoln. Bought it on purpose. It was a boat on purpose. You drive the boat. Okay, Dad, me and, me and Seth, we're going to go to church. All right. First Sunday night to church, they come home. 6.35. Shabam! Deer. First night she's driving. I should have known better. So you know what, Dad? That is not wise. You don't ever let her do it again. First night. She never drove the boat ever again unless she absolutely had to. Now, she never wrecked our other car. I don't know how she ever did it, but she never did. But isn't it crazy that we said, you know what? We want to teach you some maturity. So there's going to be some responsibility. You're going to get knocked around, girl. You're going to learn how to walk. It's going to hurt. You're going to crash your bicycle. Thank God she never hurt anybody in her vehicle. That's just a miracle of God's grace, right? It is. Uh, it's right. We know. Okay? So, what about you? God wants you to be mature. He wants you to be captivated by his love. He wants you to allow you to hear your words say, Hey, God, I surrender to you. God, I'll let you be Lord of my life. You rescued me. You saved me. You set me free. And so he's going to challenge you. If, you, if that's going to take place, you will have to forget your past. You have to say, God, that is history. I can't live there anymore. Is it easy? No. Does it hurt? Yes. Will you go over the motions every time you think about it? Yes, you will. Every time I get rewound to when I was about seven or eight, all the emotions come flying back. I can't control the emotions. But I will not allow the emotions to control me today. It won't happen. We're going to have to strain. You know, as you get older, it gets harder to get down. You, you hear more groans when you go to tie your shoes. You know? Let's strain for the gospel. I know it's not you yet, Hank. You're too young. It's us older guys. And when you get 40, you'll get experience all those things. It's wonderful. Golden years. What I've been told anyway. Are we willing to strain as hard as we are for the unsweet tea for Jesus? All Susan had to do was say, you know what? That was just something that some guy said to me at school. It's not a big deal. I'm sure he'll forgive me. After all, they told me he loved me. I can just get off the mat. It's not a big deal. Three months. Is that about 40 pounds? Somewhere in there. 14. 40 pound girl. Who won't get off the mat. And we get frustrated when somebody pulls out in front of us. Really? We get aggravated at somebody. We were here. We were in line a lot longer than they were. How are they getting seated before us? How do they get their food? Really? The gospel hasn't rescued our hearts. Last thing I want you to see about this maturity thing is take your Bible and go to John chapter 15. I hadn't thought about this. I was part, went to a service on Thursday morning. One of our SIM missionaries passed away. Thank God for our SIM missionaries over the years. God has given us some really neat people part of Bible Fellowship Church family. Over the years, we've done vacation Bible school, and 
there's just always this one person, her name was Marge, and she loved the gospel. You know what was cool about Marge was is she didn't mind doing the punch, and she didn't mind doing the games, she didn't mind doing all that, but if we wanted somebody to go talk to somebody about the gospel, you know who we called? Marge. You know why we call Marge? Because of these words. John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus' words. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. She believed. And I don't know all of Marge's history, and I'm sure there were times in her life that she struggled to grasp this thought. And I'm sure she had bad days, but there was something that grabbed Marge's heart that she had been chosen by God. And she wanted as many boys and girls to know, you know what? God will choose you. God loves you. And the gospel never got outside of her. It didn't matter how old she was. And she came to the grasp the reality that she'd been chosen by God. Why did God choose you? Because he appointed you. What did he appoint you to do? Go and bear fruit. That's why we're here. That's why it's so important for us as we finish up Philippians chapter 3. It's, incre- it's so important for us to go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. But our citizenship, citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's easy to to get caught up. Yeah, I live in Highlands County. It's an incredible place. It's beautiful. There's lots of opportunities. But this is not, this is not our final place. We've been called to live as aliens to this world. We've been called to be, you know what, God? I'm eagerly awaiting you. I can't wait to see you, Jesus. And I understand this. Look, I have good days in this, and I have bad days. I'm not asking you to be perfect, okay? Never, ever expect Never think, oh yeah, we, we, he's got it all together. No, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking that the Lord would create a longing in your heart. Say, you know what, I don't belong. Oh, you can enjoy fishing and hunting and playing golf and doing all those things. Enjoy it. Flying airplanes, do it. Enjoy it. Do all that stuff. It's not bad. Okay? This is not my final home. I'm not going to live in, on 9509 Wispy Woods Avenue for the rest of my life. I'm not going to live so it's important for all of us just to think about this. How many days do you have left? If I came to you and said, okay, today you have five years left to live, would you live differently? You better believe you would. If I came to you and said, hey, by the way, you got two weeks, would you live differently? Absolutely. None of us in this room know when we are going to take our last breath. We all know if God doesn't come back, we are all going to die. That's a 100% guarantee rate. It's not going to happen. You're not going to live, you know, until you're 150 years old. It's not going to happen. You're going to die. So now, you have a choice to make as you sit here as a family, as we finish our time together, these things. Heed the warning. Salvation is only by grace through faith. You can't add anything to it. It's not about you. Another warning. The most important thing in chapter 3 for you to come to grips with, to wrestle with for the rest of your life, is an ongoing battle saying, Lord, you're in charge. I don't want to be the boss. It's not about me. I surrender. 
I want to know you as my Lord. And when you say yes to Jesus, the other things don't matter. It's not as much of a priority for you to get your way. It makes your home, your marriage, your friendship, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, they'll be excited about this. If you let God do this in your life. It's really important for you. As you think about maturity, you have to keep on moving on. Just the way you challenge your kids. Yeah, it's okay. Get back up. Walk again. Oh, you won't hit the tree that hard this time. I'll stop you on your bicycle. I'll be there for you. Yeah, right, Dad. Keep going. Get back up again. Keep straining. Forget what's behind you. Don't let it hold a captive. Move on. The last thing is to remind yourself of your citizenship. And not just, oh yeah, I get to be in heaven. Remind what it cost your father so you could be in heaven. Remind yourself of Jesus hanging on the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. Remind yourself as they ripped out his beard, knowing that he had the power to wipe them all out. He didn't do it because he wanted you to be a citizen of heaven. That he had to die for us. It cost him everything. There was no easy way. So this morning we probably should do church this every week, but we don't. And so I don't want to make it too familiar. But I'm going to ask Nancy just to put on some music quietly and If you want to just step up and leave and have conversation, just do it outside. No problem. Nobody's going to be upset about it. But I'm going to open the altar up for you. And if you can't come down and kneel, there's seats. Come sit in the front seat and pray. One thing I want you to know, and this is my issue growing up as a kid. Anytime people went down front, it was like, oh, they must be living terrible lives. They're just sinners. They need to repent. And then my church would talk about it for three days, okay? Most likely, I will walk out of this room. Because this is between you and Jesus. Okay? I'm not going to find value if two people come down or 20 people come down. That's not what it's about. We're not taking notes. You know, in January, we saw five people at the altar. Man, we're successful as a church. No, it's not. It's not about that. Okay? It's about you coming face to face with the cross and saying, you know what, Jesus? I surrender. It's about dads being willing to say, it's not about me. God comes up, do something in my heart. Create in me a clean heart. God, I don't want to be this thing. I want to be steadfast. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to sit with your word this week. In some senses, it's been really fun. In other senses, it's like you just keep knocking me around. And that's okay. Because I don't want to be the same. (laughs) I don't. And I can't wait to see you, Jesus. See the one that gave his life for me. Can't wait to fall at your feet. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. And I don't need to know. It's okay. But as a pastor, I say to you, the altar's open. Whatever God's doing, come forward. And pray. Thank you for being part of Bible Fellowship Church. God bless you.